to Church Hurts and the good, the bad, and the ugly about church, religion, and spirituality with a dash of recovery thrown in. If you've ever had questions about the church, maybe a bit jaded in your attitude toward religion, well, you've come to the right place. Our host, he was an honors philosophy student, ordained a Presbyterian minister, planted three churches, taught at a prestigious university, was teaching pastor at a mega church, and was an executive coach. But now, now he's just an aging curmudgeon who never quits asking the question why. The host of Church Hurts and Dr. John Bash. You know, life just isn't fair. There's not a parent alive, probably in any culture, who doesn't have burned in their memory the way their child expressed this sentiment. It's not fair. It's just not fair. Most likely that scream or whine or tearful plea comes at the behest of oneself or a relative to another who's been more favorably treated, rewarded, or blessed. My earliest memory of this came when my older sister seemed regularly slighted, that I seemed to get a little more attention or praise, seeming at her expense. As I grew older, I became aware that others seemed to have nicer parents, fancier toys, and hospitable homes. Didn't seem fair at all. With maturity came a development of the same concept, but into right and wrong. What wasn't fair now became downright wrong. That's just wrong. This ethical conclusion takes away any doubt or relevance of corroborating details. It's just wrong and brings with it a visceral, gut-wrenching, Gnostic determination. Depending on the event, result, people involved, particularly if it's me, another stage occurs in which fairness and wrongness seem inadequate as standards. Now we get to evil. This is no longer the polite bad things happen to good people scenario. This is when the heavens and earth shake in our life and our foundations tremble. As with most feelings and issues of significant import, it doesn't take long until they get bumped up to the higher court, even the Supreme Court, but in this case, the heavenly Supreme Court. The court above all courts over which resides the judge over all judges. Now he must answer us. We've cycled it in our brains ad nauseum. How could even God in heaven give an explanation as to such a thing happening if he makes any claim to goodness at all? You've ever had such a struggle. I'm, I'm, uh, if you've never had such a struggle, I'm glad for you. But for many, such an occasion meant the end of church in their life and correspondingly also their belief in God. But it may not need to end that way. Today we meet a young man well qualified to speak about difficult subjects. He has YouTube videos which will make you squirm about issues you didn't even know existed. He happened to come into my life in a time when I couldn't see through the haze. So let's jump into his story. Welcome to Church Hurts and Zach Colley. Thank you for having me. I am so happy to be here. 
Zach, give me a picture of your life. Growing up in Southern California, it sounds to me like you had it all. Loving, church-going parents, surfing. Well, I don't know. Tell me what it looked like when you were 15, 16. Give me an idea. Yeah, so I have lived in Southern California my entire life. I grew up going to the beaches. Uh, I was a very active child growing up. I enjoyed surfing, riding dirt bikes, skateboarding hanging out with my friends and playing sports. So I was always going from one thing to the next. I also enjoyed playing video games. So I would stay inside at night, play video games, wake up the next day, go outside, hang out with my friends. I was always staying the night at my friend's house on the weekends, trying just to get away from my parents' house. Um, Not because I didn't (laughs) like them, but just because I love just being with my friends. I'm a huge extrovert. So I get energy by just being around other people. So I was just, yeah, very active, always going from one thing to the next, always had to be doing something, didn't like downtime. So I was a so, very kind of wild and, child. And you thought about God much. You did. You, you were a church-going family. Um, you're super active going. Had you thought about God much at that point in your life? So I, I grew up in a Christian household, going to church pretty much every Sunday, since I can remember. Um, but at that time, especially being a teenager, uh, God was not a focus in my life. Even when, even though I had to go to church, I usually was forced to go because, you know, as a teenager, I didn't, I didn't like waking up early on a Sunday, you know, going to church the weekends I wanted for me after a long week of school, you know, I like to stay up late Friday and Saturday nights, sleep in Saturday and Sunday mornings. Um, also when I stayed the night at my friend's house, if it was a Saturday night, I'd have to get picked up early by my parents to go to church. Mm. So in my head, if I could, if I could do a sleepover Friday nights, a Saturday, that was always my first go-to because I could sleep in Saturday. But yeah, it, it definitely, God was not a focus on my life at that time. I was just kind of had to go because my parents made me, I knew who he was. Um, but yeah, I just, he, he wasn't a, a focus point in my life at that time. So for people on uh, listening on the radio, they're not going to quite understand this question, even people who are watching this on YouTube. But um, when most of us meet people for the first time, there's usually a certain awkwardness. You're an extrovert, so not so much. But um, it used to be that it was the polite, firm handshake you were properly taught. You know, as a kid, this is the way you shake hands. And and then often there's some question about what you do for work or where do you live or even marital status could come up. But with you, now when people meet you, they want to know the story behind why you're sitting in a chair with wheels on it. What's that like? It was definitely awkward in the beginning, especially when I I'm a lot more comfortable with my injury and I accept what happened. And so my mindset is, you know, this is what happened to me. This is, this is my reality. Um, I can accept it and move forward and have a good life. Or I can, you know, think about all the things I lost and can no longer do and live a miserable life, live a miserable life. So, but in the beginning, I was very insecure about myself and being in a chair. So when someone would come up that I didn't know, or they didn't know me and they'd reach their hand out to shake my hand, uh, it, it, it was weird because I don't have function in my fingers and I can't squeeze back. So I would still reach out my hand and let them shake it. But then it, I could see in their eyes like, oh, this is weird. You know, 
he's not squeezing my hand back. And it was just kind of awkward. But you know, they, they want to know why, right? They want to know the story and you got to just be like, I mean, what is that like? Do you just say, Oh, I guess I got to tell the story or are you glad they care enough to want to know? Yeah. So I will go either way. Sometimes I'll, I'll say, Hey, yeah, I'm a, I'm a quadriplegic. I don't have use of my hands. So, you know, that's why I can't really shake your hand. Or if they ask me, I will absolutely answer the questions they have. I like it when people uh, kind of step up and ask me because I know for certain people, my wheelchair can be intimidating. And I always like to imagine myself like in their shoes. You know, if I went up to someone in a wheelchair and, you know, shook their hand and, you know, they didn't squeeze back, like how would I react or what would I say? So I always get impressed with people that, you know, kind of, cross that line and take that risk to ask me because they don't know how I'm going to react. You know, there's other people out there in my situation that are angry and they don't like people asking like what happened or even holding the door for them um, and stuff. So to me, it means a lot even more if, if they take that risk to ask me like, Hey, what happened? So, so take us to the beach. I like going to the beach. So let's, let's go to the beach and um, your mom's dropping you off. Right. So actually, um, so I've been in a wheelchair for 10 years. My accident happened on May 31st, 2010 at Newport Beach, 42nd Street. And like I said in the beginning, I have lived in Southern California my entire life. I grew up going to the beaches. That was a thing I did every summer with my, with my family. And so this, this particular day happened to be Memorial Day. A Monday, I had a school off. So I was a freshman in high school. And basically, one of my friends called me up Monday morning and was like, hey, let's go to the beach. I asked my parents if I could go. They said no, because they already had plans. And mm. on top of that, you know, Memorial Day at the beach is just insane. Right. Traffic, it's crowded. You know, you don't really want to be down there just because it's so kind of hectic. So I ended up talking to one of my, my, my buddy who called me, and he said that we, would take, we could take the, the bus to the beach, actually. And if I could just get dropped off at his house, his mom would drop us off at the bus stop and we could take the bus to the beach and she would pick us up later. So after begging my parents and making a scene, they finally gave in and were like, okay, we'll drop you off at your friend's house. If you get down to the beach and you can figure it out on your own, you can do that. I, I did that. I went to my friend's house. My dad dropped me off and he, I specifically remember him saying, you know, I know you're old enough to take care of yourself. But I got to say, like, please be careful. Don't do anything stupid. Don't dive into the water. You know, he, he talked to me about broken necks like that morning, um, which looking back is just crazy because of what happened. But so I get to the beach with uh, my, my friend and we walked to the sand. We ended up meeting some other friends there who were already there. Uh, we found their uh, setup. We unloaded our stuff on the sand. And from that point, we went straight to the water. So we all run in, uh, we hang out in the water for a few hours. I remember the water being cold that day. So it took a while to get used to. I don't can't remember how long we were in the water. We ended up going out and then we were hungry. So we walked to the sandwich shop that's by the boardwalk, get some lunch, go back to our spot, lay out in the sun. And before you know it, you know, the day's already coming to an end. I remember my friend telling me, hey, like my mom's gonna be leaving. Pretty soon, we probably got like an hour or so left until she's here. So we're all like, all right, let's go in the water one last time. And so, uh, you know, I get up with my friend. We all start running towards the water. 
And in my head, I remember the water being cold. So I was taught um, just to jump right in, dive right into the water, get your body used to it as quick as possible, kind of like just ripping the Band-Aid off. And so I'm, I'm running into the water. I see a wave coming at me. In my head, I'm like, okay, I'm just going to dive into this wave, get used to it. I have my buddy like right next to me a few feet away. And so this wave's coming, and I dive straight into it and end up diving into a sandbar right underneath the wave, which is basically I dove into a shallow spot when it shouldn't have been shallow. I hit my head instantly, breaking my neck and getting spinal cord damage. And pretty much in a matter of a second, I was completely paralyzed. I couldn't move a single muscle in my body. I remember laying face down. I was still fully conscious and thinking to myself in the water that I had just paralyzed myself. It wasn't that long. I pretty much knew what happened, I would say, pretty fast because it was just an odd and uncomfortable feeling. I just can't describe, but I just knew something horrible had happened. I lost all the feeling in my body. Uh, I couldn't feel like the sensation of the water. And I couldn't move. I couldn't even turn my head to get out of the water to take a breath. So I'm laying face down in the water, fully conscious, finally kind of understanding what happened. And basically accepting the fact that I was going to drown that day because I know who Mm. I was at the time. I was a jokester. I like messing with people. So I knew, at least I thought my friends would think that I was just playing a joke on them. And by the time they realized something serious had happened, I would have drowned. And so I remember just thinking in my head, okay, God, please don't let me die. I'm 15 years old. You know, this can't be it. This can't be how I go out. And so just praying to him to save me. And I'm just, the only thing I can do is just hold my breath for as long as I can. And I don't know exactly how long I was underwater. Definitely felt like forever, but couldn't have been Mm -hmm. more than a minute, I would say. And then I just got this weird feeling on my back. Like someone came up and was kind of like poking me. Like, hey, like, what's going on? And it was my buddy, Travis, who was the, my friend that I went to the beach with that day. And after my injury, I ended up talking to him about that, about that day because I wanted to hear what it was like from his perspective. Sure. He said that he saw me laying face down in the water, and he ran over to me and smacked me on my back super hard just to like mess with me. And he's like, dude, I slapped you on your back so hard, and you didn't even flinch, move a muscle, or anything. And then he's like, I thought that was weird, first of all. And then I started to see her body float back out with the tide. And he's like, I don't know what happened, what triggered me. But he's like, in that moment, I knew something was wrong. So I I ran over. He ran over to my body, flipped me over. um, So my face was out of my water, out of the water. And he hooked his arms underneath my armpits and started pulling me out of the water. Mm -hmm. And so I'm, I'm like, freshman year, I'm probably 5'11". 170 pounds. I'm I'm pretty tall and I played sports, so I was, I was muscular. And my buddy Travis is probably five five, 130 pounds or something. So as he's pulling me out of the water, I'm pretty weightless in the water. But as we start getting out of the water, I become just dead weight. And he's struggling to pull me out. Waves are coming over my face, you know, hitting me in the face. Um, I'm trying to like breathe when I can. And it's just, it's crazy. So he pulls me out of the water and basically lets go of me and my arms just fall to the ground. Like they're not even a part of my body, but I can see they're attached. And so I basically try to tell him, 
I think I'm paralyzed. I just, I can't move anything, but nothing's coming out of my mouth. I'm just trying to mouth, like call 911, go get a lifeguard. Eventually he, he realizes what I'm saying and goes and gets a lifeguard. The lifeguard comes. I just keep repeating the same thing. He's like, okay, don't move, <laughs> which I, I'm kind of laughing in my head. Well, I can't move. I'm, I'm paralyzed, but he's like, just stay there. Don't move. And so I remember hearing the ambulances coming um, in the distance and they're getting louder and louder. And it was the weirdest feeling knowing that they were coming for me. Like I knew like those are coming for me. Exactly. Let, let, let me, I'm going to jump because from here, you know, you're going to get rushed to the hospital. Yeah. Um, there's going to be so much attention. You're going to be put into surgery. You're going to come out. When was the point that you just really had to say, wow, like I, I, I have to live this way the rest of my life. Yeah. It probably wasn't for a few months after my injury. Um, and I think this is one of the things that has helped me really accept it is because I, I wouldn't accept it in the beginning. I kept thinking, mm. okay, you know, I knew this was serious, um, but I figured eventually I would heal and I would be back to normal. So I, I told myself, okay, like a month from now, you know, I'll be up, I'll be walking. Then a month hit, I'm not up and walking. Okay, maybe two months. Two months passes by, not walking. Okay, you know what? So they're telling you different, though. I mean, they're they're trying to say yeah. They're yeah. The doctor the doctor basically told me, you know, you will never walk again. You have about I don't know what he said, somewhere about one to five percent chance I'll ever walk again. And um, I remember thinking, okay, well, I'll be that one percent. I'll be that five percent. You know, I'm not going to be paralyzed the rest of my life and stuff like that. And I think over time, it just slowly started to settle in. And I realized, okay, this is something I'm going to have to deal with for the rest of my life. I most likely won't recover 100%. But by that time, I slowly started recovering for certain things. Um, but I think after a while, you know, I slowly accepted it versus it hitting me all at once in the very beginning when that doctor told me I'll never walk again. I wasn't like, Oh my gosh, I'm never going to walk again. I'm never going to do this stuff again. I'm going to have to jump because we don't have that much time. But you not only accepted it, you actually took on kind of the task of explaining to people what it is. And, and I have to remember in my life to go back when I didn't understand I didn't really like the difference between a paraplegic and a quadriplegic. I was one of these people who's just walking around going, I don't quite know what the difference is. And, and yet you, you explain these things on video in all the details. Like when I say to people, for example, did you know, like virtually nobody you see in a wheelchair has control of their bowels. Yeah. All of a sudden, like I'm into this. Did he really say that? He's talking about the bowels. Well, when you're paralyzed and, you know, that's a way down on the spine kind of function, that's not the polite thing to be. Well, you go on to YouTube and you show people. I mean, you get into the gory details. Man, it's, I just can't tell you how, how much it's helped people. Why did you decide to do that? You really say, hey, you want to know what it's like not having a body? Watch me. <laughs> right? Yeah. No, you're totally right. And so one thing I also want to say that you mentioned is, you know, I was uneducated about what a spinal cord injury was. And, you know, so I, I, 
you know, I see people or I saw people in wheelchairs before my accident, um, you know, but never really thought much about like what they're like, why were they in the chair? And so after my injury happened, I learned that for spinal cord injuries specifically, I learned that not only are they a phys- not only are they affected physically on the outside, which is what you can see, also internally. So not only did I lose my ability to walk, my hand function, a lot of other muscles in my body, but I also lost the ability to go to the bathroom on my own because my bladder and my bowels were also paralyzed and I could no longer do those things on my own. Not only is it external, it's also internal. And so, you know, that was something that I learned. And I'm like, well, if I didn't know that, you know, a lot of people who aren't in my situation are also just going to be uneducated in that area. So well, look, started, at, look at today, for example, uh, when we talked about this weekend, so it's going to be crazy, 110 degrees in some place, you know, and, and when you're in Southern California, you're not allowed to complain to anybody about the weather, but we're going to this weekend. Wait, as a quadriplegic, it's a whole different deal on temperature, right? Talk about that. Yeah. So I can't speak on all spinal cord injuries because I know they're all different, but for myself and a three of my other friends who are also spinal cord injuries, after you break your neck, I lost my ability to sweat. So my body can no longer regulate temperature. If I go outside and it's 95, 100 degrees and I sit directly in the sun, I can sit there for like five minutes and I won't have a drop of sweat come off of my body. My body will retain the heat and I'll start to get hot and overheat. And you know, if I just stayed out there, I would eventually have a heat stroke and you know, I could technically die. You know, so I need to be very careful about my temperature and regulating it and, you know, staying cool. I can go outside for periods of time, but then I got to come back in and I got to let my body cool itself back down. And it always takes longer to cool back down. It's easy to overheat, um, but it takes way longer to cool your body back down. And so that was that thing. You know, who would have thought with a heart injury, you know, yeah, I can no yeah. longer sweat. It's, it's crazy. It's crazy. Um two things um in the midst of all of this acceptance of your injury helping other people understand and accept their injuries you really probably you know you were you know you're getting now you're 20 21 you have to be thinking how heartbroken you know certainly you're dead when it comes to girls i mean you just don't have a chance what girl wants some guy sitting i mean you're a handsome man zach but sorry you're sitting in a wheelchair uh you're toast um what happened? You kind of just give up on girls? So, yeah, like I said, I was injured about two weeks before the end of my freshman year. Um, and so going back, I believe, and it's, it's weird thinking how long it's been since I was in high school, but my sophomore year, I, I, did, I was homeschooled. So I didn't really go back to high school my sophomore year. Um, my junior and senior year, I went back part-time just for my electives and then I would go home and take my core classes with a professor or a teacher that would come to my house. But high school, yeah, I was extremely insecure with my, my new disability and with women. Um, yeah, I basically had the, the beliefs in my head that, you know, what kind of girl is going to want to be with a guy that can't open a door for them? You know, I can't pick them up to drive on a first date, can't protect them physically, you know, can't even stand up and hug them and lift them up. And so, you know, those thoughts, uh, those thoughts going through my head in high school, I never went to dances. I didn't want to, I didn't go to prom, didn't really go to a whole lot of parties. 
Okay, come on, come on, you got to tell me. Did something good happen? I'm getting depressed. Yes, yeah, I know it's all kind of sad, but, you know, my high school experience, you know, my, my high school, they, they accommodated me very well. I don't want to say I didn't have a good high school experience, but it definitely wasn't the typical one, you know, just with girls. I kind of just didn't really, you know, I had, like, there was beautiful women at my high school, but anytime I thought, like, man, I want to ask her out, I kind of just pushed that thought out of my head. Because, again, I'm like, what kind of girl wants to be at the guy in the wheelchair? And we're 14, 15, 16 years old. So right. you know, we're all immature and you know, really only thinking about ourselves at that age. Um, but there's light at the end of the tunnel. And so, um, like I said, I'm 26. I just turned 26 last month. And I am engaged right now. So I met my fiance actually online, online dating. And it's a pretty funny story because... After high school, I went to college, and you know, after a while, as I started kind of accepting my injury and being more secure with with myself, I wanted to start dating and test test those waters, but I was too scared to do in person. So back then was when like online dating kind of was big and starting to happen. So I downloaded a few apps, I joined um, those um, apps, made accounts, and made a profile. Um, talked to a few people, dated a few girls. Um, it was exciting. It was fun. Um, but I was looking for something serious. You know, I, I wanted a serious relationship. And so that was, that was my mindset. But a lot of those dating apps, that's not the mindset a lot of those people have. So, but I dated, nothing happened. Then I got frustrated because I felt like, you know, I'm putting all this time into it. I'm trying to take this seriously, but I can't meet anyone. So I ended up, I deleted all the apps out of frustration. And then one day I got this message off of Instagram um, from a girl, her name was Bree. And she said, is it kind of a message like, Hey, you're really handsome. I just read your, your profile and you know, uh, I wanted to talk to you. I hope this isn't weird. Something like that. And it was off my Instagram. And so I guess she had found me on a Christian dating app that I had a profile on. But at the time it was deleted, so I didn't get the message. And she ended up in my profile, I had like my Instagram name. So she looked me up on Instagram and reached out to me, which I thought was awesome. I love that she took the initiation on that. The guy's got to reach out to the girl. Let let me um let me just say, um, I'm gonna cut you off from that story because People can find it so easily on YouTube. I think 850,000 people have seen the story of you getting engaged to this wonderful, wonderful woman. And um, and just congratulations on that. You know, but we're at Church Hurts Hands, so I just got to ask you one more question. Absolutely. Did you feel like firing God? What happened to any faith you might have had? Did you, yeah. you know, God so, get into this picture or not? Yeah, you know, it's... Not a lot of people would, the majority of people would think after someone breaks their neck and has a spinal cord injury that there is no God or that God is not good because if he's so good, how could, how could he allow something like this to happen to someone? And so for me, obviously, in the beginning, I was, I don't know if I was angry, but I was like, why? You know, why did this happen to me? Why did I deserve this? What did I do um, for something like this to happen to me? And so with those questions going through my head, um, you know, I, you know, I just kind of was like, okay, whatever. And about, I'd say a few years into my injury, when I was, when I went to college, I lived on campus 
and I joined a group called Crew, which is a, a, a college Christian group. And they every Tuesday they had a meeting on campus, and so I was living on campus, and I kind of was just bored with my life. You know, I was like, I just need something new. So let's let's give God and church like another chance and just see what happens. Um, fast forward through all that, you know, that kind of just re relit the fire inside of me because I knew who God was. You know, I I, I went to church, and um, just slowly that fire started to get stronger than it had ever been in my life. You know, right now I would say my faith. It's the strongest it's ever been in my life post-injury, even before my injury. So, yeah, I, I just – and the reason that is is because now I was able to kind of just sit back and see everything that's happened in my life since my accident. And it's really been nothing but amazing things that I know I would have never accomplished or have been able, have been able to do had my accident not happened. And I believe that God opened a lot of those doors for me. You know, I'm going to close here, but just a personal note. Um, You're able to help people um, who've had similar problems as well as people who have other problems because, you know, I mean, but the same can be said about your parents. Mm -hmm. And there was a time in my life five years ago that your dad was one of the only people I could talk to. Mm -hmm. He was powerful because he had walked through that with you. And I don't know that I've ever met a father more proud of a son. So if you'd like to know more about Zach, just go to his YouTube channel, Zach Colley. It's easy to subscribe. He's easy to find. You can find links to this show on YouTube, too. But um, just go to churchurchand.org because you can't search for us and find us as easily as you can, Zach. One of the easy takeaways from this story could always be and I thought I had issues. Another could be to dwell on injustice of a world where a bright young teenager has his healthy body taken away from him. And still another could be, isn't that sweet young man such an encouragement? If I'm sounding silly or making fun of your thoughts, I don't mean to because I take away all three of those things. People with big physical issues are always a reminder to me to be thankful for what I have and to put my problems in perspective. When I see injustice, I want to yell at God to wake up. And isn't this sweet young man such an encouragement? You bet he is. And he's also a strong, vibrant young man. Don't mess with Zach. In the Gospel of Matthew, the ninth chapter, we read about four friends of a paralyzed guy. They'd heard about Jesus healing people, and they decided they were going to get their friend close to him so maybe he could be healed. I'm tempted to go into details that Zach knows so well, but let me say this. Getting a paralyzed person from one place to another isn't easy, and they didn't have motorized wheelchairs back then, and paralyzed means dead weight. The person just can't help. So the four friends grabbed on to the four corners of the guy's bed, which was basically a mat back then, and went off to the house where Jesus was speaking to a crowd packed inside so much that they realized they'd have no hope to get through the door. And so this is going to sound silly, but these guys somehow got their friend up onto a thatched adobe-style roof, dug through the mud, the wood, the straw, and sticks to interrupt the meeting and lower their paralyzed friend into the room near Jesus. Now wait. I bet you don't know what happened next. 
This is the good part. I'm imagining standing in the room as the dirt starts falling on top of people's heads around me and the hole begins to open and I'm annoyed. I came to hear Jesus speak and these goofballs are digging through the roof to get in. Two guys jump down and the hole's broken even wider open so they can put their arms up to receive in this mat, this prostrate man. I mean, how's that for a grand entry? And do you have anything, any idea what Jesus said? I bet you don't. As all eyes turn to Jesus, including religious leaders who are trying to catch him up to say something heretical so they could get rid of him, do you think Jesus said, stand up and walk? Nope. He said, take courage, my son. Your sins are forgiven. Really? The religious people went nuts. Only God can forgive sins. He blasphemes. Jesus went out went on to point out that having our sins forgiven is a much bigger deal than having a functioning body. <coughs> Excuse me. But then went on to heal the man and walk away from there. Have you ever thought about what is really important from, from that perspective? Zach has. Stay around him long enough and he's willing to talk about body parts, how nice it would be to walk but he knows it isn't the most important thing in the world. Zach's free. He has a savior. And he'll talk to you about it if you ask him. Zach's body was broken bad. Zach's soul, never. Never broken. Never. It's worth a thought. This is John Bash. Well, <laughs> that was worth a thought for sure. And brings us to the end of this edition of Church Hurts and Next week, it's rumored, we'll be walking on the edge of controversy, stirring the pot of denial and finding movement of the divine in unlikely places. Be sure and join us. (laughs) 